Good morning. Uh, my name is MacDill, and this morning we're going to be reading our scripture passage from the book of Acts. We'll be reading uh, verse 1, and we'll be reading from 1 through 11. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, God, uh, for the blessing that it is that we can read together as a church uh, scripture. Thank you, God, and we pray that uh, you open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us this morning. And as Pastor Dave uh, preaches, we pray that you can speak into our lives and that we can receive what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Acts 1, 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gather around him and ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates, that my father has said by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking into the sky, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen. Hello, Renew friends and other people out there in social media world. Thank you for joining us in our streaming worship. And uh, today we're actually starting a new series on the book of Acts. And uh, uh, we read, uh, Pastor Maggiel read Acts 1, 1 through 11 in the NIV. Thank you for that. Really excited about this new book. And we're starting it at the right time because this Sunday on the church calendar, um, is often by many people known as Ascension Sunday, the Sunday on the church calendar where Jesus uh, ascends to heaven, leaving his disciples with instructions. And so our passage actually covers the Ascension in the first chapter of Acts. And so we're going to start that. And then next week we'll be into Acts chapter 2 with uh, the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Um, and next week, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, but I'll have to admit to you in my own confession that uh, as a pastor, it's hard not to be attached to 
the facilities. The building and the sanctuary and the work we put into the sanctuary and creating a space, an actual physical space to gather and meet and worship. A lot of volunteers have put hard work into um, uh, refurbishing, uh, remodeling this place. We are in the middle of building, a ca building out a cafe and getting a coffee uh, espresso machine set up. And uh, children's volunteers have done a lot to paint walls and and create, you know, bookshelves and corners for kids to, and tables and chairs for the kids' ministry to thrive and kids to have a safe space to grow and learn uh, about God with one another. A lot of work uh, when we first came into the building has been was put into doing stuff to make it our space, to make it a welcoming space. And now we don't have that. And just for more background and more history, uh, we have been here in Linwood two and a half years, renewed Church Linwood. Um, but we used to be in North Seattle when we I first planted a church. It started in my house, in our living room. And back then, yeah, we didn't have a building, and so I was used to, and even took pride in like we meet in my living room, or later on we met in a community center which we only had once a, once a week on Sundays. Uh, we were a mobile church. We had to set up and tear down every Sunday uh, for worship service. And I took pride in that. Like, hey, we don't have a building, but we're a people. We are the church. We're being the church. We're a movement. And, uh, and then we moved. God led us to Linwood, and God provided for us through our conference this amazing building. And... It's been such a boon for us in terms of being a launch pad for ministry and also an amazing gathering space for our community of faith. And honestly, to have the building close um, in these last couple of months has been hard because the things that have been concrete that I can hang my hat on and say, oh, this is ministry, or oh, this is our place, or, oh, this is where we're doing ministry in our neighborhood. This is home base, um, are no longer there. And um, as I speak, as I minister, most of the time I'm in my, with my camera on Zoom or streaming live through my computer or camera or here um, streaming worship service and a sermon uh, live on a, on a a camera, um, it's hard because I don't see you. I don't see your faces. I don't see your smiles or I don't see the tomatoes you're wanting to throw at me. Maybe like I'm boring. I don't see um, the people over there falling asleep and snoring a little. I don't see all of those things. I don't hear laughter. I don't, I don't hear, get to see the diversity of our church. We are a multi-ethnic church and the diversity is amazing to look at uh, on a, any given Sunday. I don't even get to see that. And I'm sure we don't get to see that. We don't get to see one another. You at home don't see other people. Uh, maybe you see them on Facebook or Instagram, stuff like that. Or you call each other, or you, we Zoom meet. Um, but we, all, we don't get to see each other in the ways that we did. So the things that we once took for granted 
like meeting together, worshiping side by side, laughing, telling stories, hanging out for lunch afterwards. All of those things that we took for granted are no longer there. And so what can we hang our hat on? What can we lean into that says, yes, we're the body of Christ. Yes, we are the church. Yes, we're together of one mind, one spirit. We share this vision and this mission, and we are together moving with God into this mission, into uh, being renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods, which is Renew's mission. Um, what is that that holds us together? What are we holding on to? What are we leaning on? And in my, as a pastor, as a shepherd of, a, of this church, I feel insecure on a daily basis because uh, my fear and insecurity is that there's entropy, like things are falling apart or the center is not holding. Like we as a community are drifting further and further apart from the center. And I don't know who's paying attention. I don't know who's worshiping alongside us. I don't know how everyone in the congregation is doing. I don't know when we're going to be able to meet again physically. And when we do, Who's going to be there? What will it look like? I don't know what's happening. Maybe we're all losing our faith out there. Maybe hundreds of people we, I haven't seen before are listening in and giving their lives to Christ or wanting uh, to be a, a bigger part of Renew, bigger part of the church, or seeking uh, once again after uh, not, being, not going to church for a while or not thinking about spiritual things. And maybe now... You're thinking about spiritual things. I don't know. I don't hear that. I don't see that. I do get emails. I do get phone calls. I do get texts and messages. And I know some of your stories and some of uh, the things you are praying about. But more so than before, what was concrete for me is less concrete. And so it brings up insecurity in me. Like, who are we right now? What are we? what's going on and what's going to happen. And I'm sure many of you feel that way in your lives, in your home life, in your family life, in raising your children and thinking about their education with your parents or older people in your lives, their health. Um, maybe you are an older person who has been this whole time uh, quarantined in your place and unable to have visitors. Um, Maybe you're in that place. We're all experiencing this disruption, this, these changes, the things that we held for granted, that we uh, were concrete in our lives, that we were able to rely on and actually physically hold, are gone. And, and so the anxiety, um, the fear and insecurity are, are more a daily reality. And also mental health is a big thing. I think that there are a lot of studies out there. There are a lot of experts that are coming onto the news shows um, and articles and blog posts being written about what are the psychological effects of being in quarantine um, during this coronavirus time? And what are the psychological effects on children um, as they're unable to go outside and play uh, with their friends as much as they used to? We, take, we took those things for granted they're no longer here. And as we step into the book of Acts, I think that at the beginning, this is something that the disciples 
are running into as Jesus is preparing them um, for his departure. He's just died, right? As we see in the end of the Gospels, he's just died on the cross and then resurrected and appeared to the disciples only to their surprise, to their like, this is a miracle, only to be like, I'm going now, wait. For the promised Holy Spirit, wait, I will no, I'm, I'm going away from you physically, but I will be with you. Imagine how they felt that their teacher, their mentor, their father figure, whatever Jesus was, their God, their Lord, their rabbi, who they had followed and worshipped and seen done miracles and walked alongside and ate together for several years, it's talking about leaving physically. What's going to hold them together? Who can they rely on as their leader? Who can they depend on? Reliability, concrete, the person. And so my question as we continue to um, navigate through this first chapter of Acts, ask this question. What happens when someone's significant is taken away from you? What happens when the things that were concrete that you relied on and trusted in your daily life is removed? Or church, as a church, what happens when you remove something like meeting together and the worship space is removed? What, what does that mean? How do we feel? How do we navigate and continue on? And I think this is the, these are all the things that the disciples are experiencing as they face Jesus' ascension. And so I'm going to pray and, and then we'll dive into the passage. God, thank you so much for your presence. And we know that that's a promise throughout Scripture that you will be with us, that your presence goes with us. And so we trust that you are present with us now and we receive that and we're open to that, to your leading, to your guiding. And in the places where we long for more connection with you and more connection with one another, we lack some of the concrete things we're able to touch and feel, the things we stood on and said, yep, I can trust in that are no longer there. God, give us courage to move with your spirit and know that as we're journeying in transition and ambiguity, your pillar of fire goes before us. Your column of smoke light leads us through the wilderness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We know about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we know about the epistles in the New Testament. They're letters, uh, often written by Paul to the church, um, to encourage, uh, exhort, give instructions. And we know about apocalyptic literature, uh, such as Revelation, which is uh, a good example of that genre. But Acts, what is Acts? Is Acts a gospel? No, I don't know. Is Acts an epistle? Well, he is 
writing to Theophilus, as we see in verse 1, but it's not really a, an epistle. It's not apocalyptic. It's kind of its own unique book. And one of the things that, as we look at the context of Acts, that we need to know and understand is that Acts is actually a sequel, and that's a sequel to the book of Luke, right? And, and maybe that's hard to make a, a connection with because John, the Gospel of John, when you look at the Bible, the table of contents, Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and then Acts. So we wouldn't immediately make the connection that Luke and Acts are written by the same person and go together, that they are part one and part two. So a lot of commentators, a lot of experts uh, call that call the whole collection Luke-Acts, um, part one, part two. And we see this in verse one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So in my former book, he's referencing the book of Luke, which also begins with an address to the same Theophilus. So that's the clue right there that the books are connected. That former book is Luke. And both Acts and Luke are addressing this person, Theophilus. Um, we don't know who Theophilus is, or even if Theophilus is a specific person, because Theophilus, um, the name itself means lover of God. So maybe it's just a general universal uh, address to pe the church or people who are the lover of God. Um, so we don't know exactly who Theophilus is. Acts, the book of Acts is a sequel to Luke. And so we should look at Luke-Acts together in chunks. And I, and I encourage you on your own time at home uh, to compare the two, Luke and Acts, and to read them, maybe do some reading side by side. Um, what is the purpose of Acts? What is the purpose of Acts? Is it a, uh, the history of early Christianity? In many ways, when you look at, as we go through the book of Acts, we'll see these events leading up to the formation of the church or, you know, first century post-Jesus, first century, the first century uh, followers of Jesus, the community of faith, how they formed, how they shaped their identity, how they grew and expanded, how the mission to go outward began to sh be shaped, um, we can say, Oh, it's the history of the early church, the history of early Christianity. Um, if we look at it as a history, though, it's like, okay, why was this? You know, historians always piece together events to shape an overall narrative of or story of what, what's happening. What's the history of this thing? Um, the question arises is, oh, why did Luke or the writer of Acts choose these specific events as to depict the story or history of the early church. Justo Gonzalez uh, is a commentator and a theologian, uh, wrote a commentary in Acts called The Gospel of the Spirit. Um, his point is that the main character in Acts is the Holy Spirit. The main, even though when we look at the title of Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles, and we look at it oftentimes, we look back when we're 
as the church, when we're looking back, we're like, oh, the early church. What is the history of the early church? How did it form? What did they do? So maybe we can follow these same things and be like the church in its purest form. Um, but more deeply than just a simple survey of the early church, I think what Justo Gonzalez is pointing out is that this, the Acts is actually the gospel of the Holy Spirit. The main character is the fuego, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the promise that Jesus talks about that at the end of Luke, the promise that Jesus talks about uh, to his disciples here in the beginning of Acts, wait, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit. And as we go through Acts and this series on Acts, uh, my challenge to us, my instructions to us is to see... Uh, to look for how the Spirit is moving. What is the Spirit's role and what's happening in the followers of Jesus in the community of faith? And to see actually like good news, this good news, this gospel, the Christian community as witnesses is expanding and spreading from Judea, from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the Roman Empire, right? And the prime mover the prime catalyst, the prime instigator is the Holy Spirit of God. And what are the implications? As we read about a message, a mission, and a community empowered by the Holy Spirit and all of these amazing things happening, what does that mean for us as followers, as the community of faith? What does it look like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? And when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, what are the possibilities? What can happen? Amen? Luke, at the beginning of um, Acts, talks about um, that in Luke, he wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Right, and this, this we see in Luke 24, the end of the last chapter of Luke, when Jesus post-resurrection appears to his disciples, it says that he hung out with them. Here it says a period of 40 days. It's just many days. It's not necessarily specifically 40 days, but Jesus hung out with his disciples physically. And if we, you were to go back to Luke 24, uh, we remember we have the resurrection story with Mary and Mary, the top of chapter 24. Then you have the road to Emmaus where the two disciples are talking with Jesus and then he reveals himself to them after sharing a meal with them. They go back and tell the rest of the disciples at the end of Luke 24. And while they were still, this is Luke 24, 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Man, we could just end and go home right now. Jesus speaks a benediction. Jesus speaks peace. Why does he say peace be with you in this time, in this moment? 
after being reunited to his disciples, and they're kind of full of excitement and, and kind of energy at, at the thought, the possibility that this Jesus, their Jesus who they loved, who had died, might be alive. 37 reveals a little more. They were startled, this is Luke 24, and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. Touch me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see. Jesus reveals himself in the midst of his disciples who are trembling in fear and doubt. And he assuages them. He says, why do you doubt? Why are you afraid? Touch me. Look, I'm Jesus. You can actually feel me. And he ate in their presence. I'm eating with you. A tangible, physical, human, tactile, fleshly Jesus appeared to his disciples. And this is how he alleviates their fear and doubt. Even Jesus, even God knows that we need to hold on to something. Right? I've learned as a father, don't mess with my children's uh, either teddy bear or blankies, right? I used to tease Isaiah and take away his blanket. Even last night, I uh, hid his blanket and he ran into his room. When I revealed it to him, he ran into his room. He grabbed it from my hand. He ran into his room and slammed the door because he was mad. He was actually mad at me. I'm like, what? To me, it means nothing. To him, he's, it's been a source of comfort, right? Since he was a baby. Right? Cammy, same thing. She has her little squishy, which is, I don't know, a duckling or a yellow squishy ball. And uh, if she, the other day she came in and said, you watch, you watch squishy. I trust you. I'm going to be back, you babysit squishy. And being the bad father and the mischievous guy I am, I, uh, I threw Squishy on the ground. When she came back, she said, she literally started crying and said, I don't trust you anymore. And I'm like, <gasps> like these objects, though they're just objects, and in my adult eyes are just silly things, to them, they're concrete objects that represent comfort and they represent security. In the same way, um, Jesus knows this. At the end of Luke chapter 24, when he appears to his disciples, he knows he's leaving. And he knows that uh, the Holy Spirit will be, the gift of the Holy Spirit will come and they'll be sent out on a mission. They're going to need to be courageous. And yet he knows that they have doubts and fears in their minds. It's natural to doubt and fear is a part of being human. To want to cling to something physical is a part of being human. And so Jesus, that's why he says, touch me and see. Touch me and see, I'm not a ghost. And maybe we're feeling like that these days. Like, God, I want to touch and see something. Right? Because there's a lot of things that we don't know right now. There are a lot of things that are uncertain. And I have doubts. And I am troubled. We're all troubled and we have doubts. 
So Jesus, can we just, you know, let me touch the scars in your hands and the wounds in your feet. Come eat with me. We need something concrete, just like squishy, just like blanky. We need concrete things to help us to feel secure. But I think God, Jesus promises us, encourages us with tangible like comfort. But he also challenges us to wait, one, wait, and two, to move out in courage. Not courage that we muster inside of ourselves like a fake bravery, even though we're still afraid. We're going to be afraid, but we're also going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to move out. Amen. Um, so where was I? Back to Acts. That was Luke 24, and they're connected. It's the transition, right? So Jesus is saying, you know, uh, Luke is writing to Theophilus and saying, you know, the first book that I said was about Jesus and what he taught and did before he was taken up to heaven. But the second part, this Acts, is going to be about the Holy Spirit. This is the implication. It's going to be about what Jesus is teaching, is going to teach and do, not actually physically with you, but through the Holy Spirit. So the first book, what Jesus taught and did until his ascension. The second book, Acts, what Jesus will continue to teach and do after the ascension through the Holy Spirit. So we see in verse 4, on one, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father, that the gift for, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, remember in Luke, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives a stay-at-home order to his disciples. We're like, we understand that, right? Jesus commands them, do not leave Jerusalem. Stay here. Don't go out. Stay right where you are and wait. Cue Jeopardy music. Dee, 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 dee. And I can imagine the disciples being like, okay, you told us to wait here in Jerusalem for some gift that the Father promised. And then you left. Like, what are we doing here? Wait. It's the hardest thing to do for me. How about you? Wait. Wait. Jesus is saying, I have a plan. I have a plan for the opening, for the reopening of the ministry into the world. Wait. Don't move until the promised gift comes. Don't act until you're empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
don't move until God says, now, wait. Ooh, it's so hard. You get so stir crazy. What are we doing here? When is this gonna end? What does it mean to get back to normal, the normal life? What does it mean to be the church together? Ah, there's so many things to stress about. And in fact, this weekend, I think many churches have been emboldened and empowered to reopen. They've been waiting for it. They've been wanting for it. And now that they feel that they've been given the right to worship together in public, they're meeting, and I'm not here to judge. But what does it mean to sit and wait? Because that seems to be the challenge that Jesus is giving his apostles right before he leaves. And we should pay attention, right? Just like when a parent leaves their kids alone for the first time and gives instructions to the children, those instructions are really important, right? We, they write it down, they make a list, or the instructions they give a babysitter before they leave, like, make sure you feed this person at this time. Make sure you put them to bed at 8 p.m. Make sure they go potty and brush their teeth. There's all of these instructions. And so when Jesus leaves, we should pay attention to the last things he says. Because what? It's very, very important. Wait. In Jerusalem, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised. Because in a few days, you're going to be baptized with fire. And they're still thinking about tangible, concrete things. Are you going to restore the kingdom of, to Israel? Are we going to be a great nation again? Are you going to make Israel great again? Are we going to rise up? And Jesus says, actually, he makes it more ambiguous. He doesn't give them anything more concrete. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's like when you're at a retreat or a camp and you're in charge and everyone's asking you detailed questions like, when are we going to do this? When's mealtime? When are we going to do this or this or this? So many questions, right? And Jesus doesn't alleviate these questions. He just says, it's not for you to know the time. Sorry. We don't know. You don't, you're not to know when he's going to restore the kingdom, when he's going to restore things. But like I said before, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and the ends of the earth. If we take a step back, we've seen the Holy Spirit one time, verse 2. Two times, verse 4, three times, verse 5, four times, and verse 8. Through the Holy Spirit, wait for the gift my Father promised. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yes, Christians, we are told to be witnesses of the gospel. You hear that all the time. Go and be witnesses 
to the ends of the earth. Go, part of being a church, the church, ecclesia, ek meaning out, and kaleo um, meaning called. So called out. The church is called out. This is the Greek ecclesia word for church. Um, to be called out, to be sent. We are sent to be witnesses of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth in our locale and beyond and beyond. This is what Jesus is saying here in summary. But there's an order here. Jesus is saying, wait, receive power, and then you will be my witnesses when I empower you. Don't go on your own initiative and on your own power right don't over don't step too soon don't be impatient paciencia jesus is saying are you with me church and and i think this is really speaking to us where we're at right like our leadership meet met online and we're like oh trump just talked about reopening churches and he'll override the governors like People want to meet. And we're like, should we meet? Should we not meet? Like there's this push, this impatience to go out there, even when, you know, people's safety um, could be threatened. And I think the call for the early church, for the, the first followers in the first century, is to wait for the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to wait in the midst of uncertainty? That's the main idea. What does it mean to wait in the midst of uncertainty? Because we like to hold on to concrete things, and we like to be people of action. You don't believe me? Let's read on. So you'll receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes on. You Then you'll be my witnesses. After this, this is verse 9, he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from sight. Even in that image, like, whoop! Right, right before their eyes, he was taken up. Wow, amazing. And then it says a cloud covered him. So he was there physically. He, they had touched him. They had eaten with him. He was there. They could touch him. And then, boom, he's taken up into the sky. And a cloud makes it so they can't see him as well. It obscures their vision of him. Right? And that's our experience right now. There are times when we don't see God. We don't see what God is doing. The clouds obscure our vision of Jesus. They obscure our ability to see what he is doing what's going on and so again we feel fear in those times we doubt in those times our hearts are troubled and once again the voice of comfort the voice of jesus is why do you fear right trust in me wait read on while they were looking up at the sky jesus where are you? Come back here. Why did you leave us? Come on. Hey, someone, get a bunch of helium balloons. Let's float up to Jesus. Let's go chase him. We're on a rocket to God. And they're looking up. 
They're actually looking intently. Intently. I don't know how to look intently. I'm looking intently up at the sky, my Jesus. While he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Where have we seen these two men dressed in white, glowing in white? We see this earlier in Luke, at the end of Luke, right? When Mary and Mary go to the tomb, it's two men shining in white that address them. And here, probably the two men, I don't know, two men dressed in white stood beside them. And they're saying the same thing. What did the, what did the two men in white say to Mary and Mary at the tomb? Why do you, what are you staring at? What are you looking at? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Same here, men, to the men, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? Why are you looking in this tomb? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking in this sky? They're looking, they're still looking at the last place they physically saw and understood Jesus to be, physically. Both Mary and Mary, the tomb, the sky. That's where Jesus went. That's where he is. And oftentimes in the church, we focus on that. Like, I'm going to go to heaven and be reunited with Jesus. We look to the sky, and that's what church is. That's what our faith, our expression of faith is, looking to heaven. And I think that's a good part of being a follower of Jesus. And the good part is we hope. We hope for a future, for eternal life. We hope for heaven. At the same time, that's not what I see in the instructions for now for us. Being the church isn't staring intently at the sky. Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking in the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back, right? We don't have to go chase him, get on a rocket and chase him and go up. Jesus is going to come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Why are you looking up in the sky? Do as he told you. Wait in Jerusalem and you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to experience amazing things as you go and become his empowered witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, the Roman Empire, the ends of the earth. Are you with me, church? Right? Everything about the advent of the early church was about being empowered and waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's what is going to define the movement that occurs, the explosion that occurs, right? The exponential numbers of many and many people coming to the faith. And then the gospel going beyond just Jerusalem, Judea, but also to the Gentiles beyond, right? There's a bigger plan, right? God wants to shake the tree and reshape us, reshape the church. Who knows? This is a historical time, right? unprecedented. Who knows what God is doing 
with the church. I know he's definitely been working in us, in our hearts. But is he trying to shake the tree and rebuild, reinvigorate, renew how we are the church, our expressions of church, to do, bring revival, bring something new as we move out empowered by the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise. Do not move. Wait. And then I will empower you to be witnesses. And that seems to be the core DNA. Not a building. I don't see any buildings here. Not the sky. Not holding on to Jesus' physical body. But a promise of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? Amen. So what defines the people of God, the people of Jesus in the very beginning, early times, is an instruction to obey and wait for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what is going to identify this people. The gospel of the Holy Spirit, a people of fuego, a people of the fire. Right? So I look over there into the sanctuary, take away the seats, take away the hymns, take away the projectors, take away the floors, the stage, the speakers, take away, you know, all the AV equipment, take away the pulpits, the crystal, um, what do you call it? The glass, I've always wanted a glass podium to speak from. Take away the lights, the stained glass windows, whatever your church is, the baptismals, the screens, the lights, the like colored lights. Take all those away. We don't have them now. All we have is we are the church. God, we wait for you. Empower us through your fire, through your Holy Spirit and build your kingdom through us. In this place, in where we are, and then in the city, to our nation, to the rest of the world. Rebuild us. Reshape us. Not on the things that we hold on to. My Starbucks cup. This is the meaning. No. It's been taken away from me. You can't have your Starbucks cup. You can't have your coffee. Wait for me to tell you what it's going to be. I want my Starbucks. Are you getting me? Wait. And this is an opportunity. I think we should see this as an opportunity. When the Holy Spirit arrives, we see this in history, the history of the church. And then like, if you take history of the church and like renewal movements or whatever, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, amazing things happen. We can probably do things on our own strength, our, the strength of our personality, being funny, being good-looking people, or having good ministries and programs. We can probably rely on that and draw lots of people. A lot of big churches have done that. But a lot of churches have grown on the strength of their own hands but lack Holy Spirit. Let us not be that church. We rely on the Holy Spirit to define us, to drive us, to move us, to grow us, um, to empower us. So again, the question is, 
as I close. What happens when someone significant is taken away from you? Or what happens when the things that are concrete that you relied on and trusted in your daily life is removed? What are you being called to now? What comes up in you? What has been coming up in you? And for me, what does it mean to be shepherd and pastor? What does church look like? These are all the questions I've been asking. And sometimes I pound my head against the wall because I'm like, what's going to make people respond? What's going to satisfy people? What's going to make people happy? How can I bring, make church people feel like they're church? And I strive with my own strength. And I think Zoom will do it, or a new microphone will do it, or streaming live video will do it, or like tricks, you know, art, creativity. Yes, those are all good things. Yes, being adaptive and innovative is good. But ultimately, God is calling me to wait. This is my personal reflection. God is calling me to wait, be still. And wait for the Holy Spirit. Will you wait with me, church? Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for the promise of your spirit um, to the church, to the apostles, the early apostles, and that that's that promise that we are beneficiaries of that promise that we live post-Pentecost, that we have uh, been blessed with your presence through the through your spirit in the church and forgive us for the ways that we have relied on concrete things or idols to define church uh, we've relied on those to make us feel secure about being the church and now that those things may have been taken away we're like now what and now that important things in our lives are being taken away, have been taken away, we're like, now what? So retrain us, guide our gaze, not to the sky or not to objects, but guide us um, to what you're doing in your spirit right in front of us wait for that and to ride the wave the fire the holy spirit the blazing center we pray these things in jesus name amen <laughs>